Well, this is crazy. I know. Good evening, everybody. Why is it not showing us? This is strange. <laughs> there we go. Did you change your hair? Hi. Hi. Yes, I sure did. It's very red. Extremely red. I, I like it. Because I'm a little bit disobedient. A little? Maybe. It's the redhead club. We're cool. We do that. Look at your red hair. I know. I hmm. changed it too. Did the bishop approve of that color? No. Or did that land you on the prayer list? Always. I was always on the prayer list. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was always on the prayer list. Did they do this? So did they do this thing where like, you know, they, you'd be um, somewhere at like church or something and, and people would like whisper about you behind their fingers? Like, oh my God. I don't know because <laughs> I'm sure I don't think they even tried to hide it there was really no point in hiding it but I will say this also your paranoia is so strong that even if somebody wasn't whispering by like you could convince yourself that somebody was right that makes sense but so we should take make a toast what do you want to drink to um to our success I feel like you and I have some good things that are we're working on yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So the Amish and Mennonites drinking together. Which is not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have communion. <laughs> oh, my God. So not allowed. Who's washing my feet, though? Um, I don't know. You could always ask somebody else. <laughs> you know? Did you guys choose who you, whose feet you washed? By choosing, you mean lining up strategically and eyeing across the basement as you were walking, trying to figure out who you were going to sit next to on the school bus? <laughs> yes. We you didn't. just prayed. You just prayed you didn't get one of the minister's wives or somebody that just didn't shave their legs. You were hoping for somebody that was liberal enough did you oh. guys did you guys feet wash yes okay and no we we didn't have any kind of choice we always had to sit in the same order so yeah <laughs> it was either the person to the right or the left of you and that was it oh really oh and no. you, you didn't have a choice like, oh no 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 we did like we like you could like slow it down a little to like get in no yeah no yeah. Oh, somebody asked if the Mennonites did wash feet. Yes, yes, we just answered that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have washed lots of feet in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I was only a baptized church member who partook in communion probably about four times. Because, yeah. Four times. I, That's I like a ran. <laughs> But honestly, like that's that's enough. Like <laughs> that was plenty. I'm so good. It's like a weird kink, a weird foot kink thing that we like checked off the list. Well, and you know, once you get done washing the feet, you know, there's the whole part where you shake hands and you do the holy kiss. Holy kiss. Yes. Yeah. Afterward, after you're done washing their feet, you dry them off, but not like that was, I think, the worst because you just didn't know how how dry you were supposed to get them. And you're like drying in between the toes. <laughs> and what if that person was ticklish? Yeah. And I mean, I guess you could look up and be like, why you no boyfriend? But, <laughs> but instead, you couldn't. And so you just had to like dry the feet and then finally stand up, like climb up awkwardly and then kiss the person whose feet you just washed. And it was just, I don't know. And, like, and not only that, but you just touched somebody's feet and without washing your hand, now you're shaking hands with them and, and giving them a kiss. Yeah. Like it's, it's really gross. COVID I think I need another drink. <laughs> COVID has nothing on us. Like, no. we're, we're good. Yeah. We're so good. Cheers. So cheers. What are you yep. drinking? I am drinking a Colorado wine. It's um, locally sourced, and it's really, really good. It's a half half dry wine. Good. Mm -hmm. I'm drinking gin. Chrisanne's joke is that the podcast runs on gin. Hey, <laughs> whatever it takes to make it work. 
So you recently released a whole, you started releasing a whole new season. I did. And, you know, I have some questions about that. Okay. Like, why did you start the podcast originally? Like, what made you do that? Um, I think that it's, there's a, there's two reasons why, but mostly because I just really felt all of a sudden it was a hit with this idea that I needed to do this in order to get out ahead of what was going on, which was exposing secrets. And it was just such a clear moment where it just all made sense and I could just see it. And as a creative person, I have these instances which where creative highs come and and it really is just like a direct like beam through me. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. And I can just see all the pieces fall into place. And I had that moment. And so I knew that if we could start talking about what had happened to us and naming what had happened to us and not leaving anything in the dark, there was no longer that fear of exposure of somebody else exposing it. And at that point, what are they going to do then? What are they going to do? I don't know. It's, it's simplified. Oftentimes, whenever you're a victim of abuse, you tend to create a lot of scenarios and a lot of chaos and a lot of drama because you have been raised in chaos and drama and to, to be manipulated into this sense of confusion. So if you simplify it and boil it down, it's oftentimes the very, very simple things that make the most sense to free you. But we can't see those oftentimes because we're left in the fog. Well, and not only that, but that chaos and confusion that you talk about, like that feels familiar to abuse victims because that's all they've ever known. So if they haven't healed from it, like they really, they really don't know anything else. And so they kind of almost, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think that's all of us. We always fight with that, like letting yep. it be good, letting it be good. And it can be good. So, yeah. Um, in those instances, though, whenever I get hit with those things and the things that have always been very successful in my life come like that, where it's just easy, it flows right, things fall into place, the right people are attract, like I attract the right people that I need for whatever I'm doing, and it just flows. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I'm so glad you did that. Like, that's, that's, that's incredible. How many yeah. seasons do you, have you made? Five. So you've made five, five seasons, but didn't you take a break at one point in time? Yep. It's almost been, um, I think we took almost a 10 month break, but I really didn't plan on coming back at all. So surprise. Surprise. You surprise yeah. yourself. Yeah. Well, I, th I think I'm not ever atta attached to an outcome of something, especially when it is successful and you can't be attached to it. So I just knew in that moment where I really needed to honor myself and to say no, even though I got a lot of backlash, even though a lot of people didn't understand and I can understand that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And perhaps it left people feeling like there was a void or whatever, but I needed to be able to honor my creative process and to come back at it if I was, um, however it was supposed to be. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that's, that's the truth. You have to be able to honor yourself and not make it be all about something that you don't wish to be yeah, making for it sure. about. Yeah. So it was a really nice break. It was a very good mental break and it was <laughs> nice to just kind of go off the grid and um, go off the radar and not be in the public eye and just be for a while. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. I'm glad. I think last year, so many people were, you know, there was such amount of trauma that's gone along with COVID for so many people. And while it didn't necessarily affect me and that's my privilege. And I understand that. I think that to add more trauma in and traumatic stories into the atmosphere at that moment probably would not have been really conducive to a healing process that a lot of people needed to be in last year. They were tra being, being traumatized between watching what was going on and what is going on between, you know, people fighting for their rights as far as skin color or sexuality or just freedom of expression. It was going under so much hellfire. And as you probably know, Mary, it is very exhausting when we look at what we've been doing, pushing, 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 pushing to advocate 
for the oppressed in our communities and then watching this global pushing and it's like where do you where do you choose because to throw yourself into fighting for rights i mean you can't fight for for what we're fighting for and ignore the fact that you you need to advocate for our other brothers and sisters out there that are fighting their own fight so sometimes you have to lay your armor down and go and fight for other people and then come back that's yeah and absolutely so i needed to be able to do that and it still is a struggle you know as far as like hey i'm over here i'm pushing and you look over and you see the rest of the world really pushing for their rights too and it's like i see you i honor you i've got to keep pushing my train forward i've got to yep. keep going forward so well and you know part of that is like when you when you start talking about what's been going on in the world like in the in people fighting for their rights here in the here in the u.s especially and and the rest of the world like one of the things has been racism and when you start talking about that in context with like our former communities, like, did you feel, or do you feel like your former community did teach you to be more accepting of people of color? Because I was taught that they were cursed. So I'm really fortunate because I grew up with a very um, progressive family. Gotcha. <laughs> Even outside of the context of the Mennonite communities, like I, I grew up in a very, very liberal family. So I always knew um, and I was very much aware of the prejudice and racism that was happening, you know, my especially for my neighbors. I have um, strong recollections of some of my neighbors that were within the church and they were adopted in and they were not white and watching how they were treated, not only by the church, but also by their adopted parents. It was heartbreaking. It was awful. And my parents were very aware of it, too. So, no. I mean, while the church taught me to not be accepting, I grew up in a very accepting household. So. How do you reconcile that? As far as how like, how because people can live in a non-accepting community, yes, like like how how can that be reconciled? Like you're living in a non-accepting community, but you're more accepting. Like how how does that work? I think it feeds into a savior complex within the community. If you are an accepting person, that therefore you found an oppressed community where you can come in and you can. Ooh, Marlene is drinking Hearts Crisp apples. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, Marlene. Yes. Um, but I think that what it can do is it can fuel that codependency within people that have not healed their trauma that oftentimes are attracted into the church so that they can then be the savior complex where they can show love in a dark place and uh -huh. therefore, unfortunately, fill a void within themselves that they need to feel accepted and loved and needed. Yeah. That's... And that's what happened in my family, I believe. But but I will say this, like it at least I grew up in a household that um, exemplified love towards other people, just maybe not within our own family, but towards others. You know, towards so, others, towards yeah. somebody. And I still and I, I and I carry that forward and I still do that with my work today. Mm-hmm. What I, do. I mean, but I still like to have the love in the household. <laughs> it's a good thing. I mean, I, I just like growing up the way that I did and being a parent, like I can't imagine. Um, I just can't imagine raising my child in that type of environment at all whatsoever. No. Like just it's an absolute no go. That's a failure. Um, and I don't remember if I asked you this or not, but. Did I ask you like why you came back to create more episodes? You didn't. Oh, let's talk about that. <laughs> so I knew that when I stepped away, a lot of it was also because I could nope, Mark is drinking champagne. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Drink with us, Mark. I was exhausted. I was exhausted from editing. I mean, I spent probably 40 hours a week on each episode and was not financially compensated whatsoever. And I also own my own business and coach women. And it, like your most valuable asset is your time. 
And if I cannot feed my family and if I cannot provide for my child and take care of my clients and add on more clients, then what am I doing? I mean, it's kind of like I got to the end of the line and I knew that I needed to hire a team. So in order to do that, I had to make money. Plain and simple. And also I needed a break. I needed yeah. a break. I'm not a machine. None of us are machines. We're, we're re-traumatizing ourselves with every story that we do over and over. And then um, it's, you know, it's a lot. It is. It's, it's a lot. There's a lot of mental workload. And not only with every story that you tell, but when you talk about like editing things and working on that type of stuff. You're, you're also, because sometimes you have to sit there and work on this like specific thing and it's like each story is traumatizing. But then when you sit there and you specifically spend like 40 hours a week focusing on that, you're, you're basically re-traumatizing yourself over and over again by the same story. You are. Oh yeah, for sure. There's a huge mental burden that goes with that. Yes. It's a lot. And in fact, whenever I hired our audio engineer, for this season and hopefully moving forward, like that was the one of the things I interviewed probably 25 different candidates and I had a certain person that I really wanted. But one of the things that I kept telling everybody was this is, if, if you're going to come on the team, I want somebody that just doesn't look at it as I'm sending you audio files and then you're sending them back and you go about your day. Like I want somebody that really, really cares about this and wants to grow the project and, and really cares about the storytelling. And I said, but you have to be careful also, because even if you didn't grow up within this culture, it's probably going to be culture shock for you. And you're going to be hearing probably some of the most disturbing stories that are out there. And you're having to cut those things to make it mm -hmm. eligible to come out into the community. So, you know, there's, there's stories that never, ever come. The worst stories never make it on our podcast. And it's a lot to ask somebody and to expect somebody and to make sure that whoever's on your team or it's yourself is taking care of themselves mentally in order to listen to these stories and also not get hardened to them. You want to keep the humanity in it all. Well, there is such a thing as um, people, people can experience and hear so many traumatic stories that it causes them to have the type of pseudo PTSD. Yes. Yes. Like that, that can happen too. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't want people to get hardened because when they get hardened, they don't care anymore. But when they have something vested in it, that's when the humanity comes out and it shows through. But here's the other thing is you're talking about like the worst stories never make it onto your podcast. Like you're making a podcast, you're trying to raise awareness and you're trying to put out stories that are at least somewhat. They're terrible but they're maybe a little bit more palatable for society at large. Yes. You can't just throw, throw yeah. them immediately. Like, Hey, I know you've been starving for 15 years, but here, here's like, we're just going to take you to yep. a banquet. Like it's so overwhelming. And I say once again and again and again, true advocacy work is not telling people why they should care. It's showing people why they should care. And so you, that comes gradually by sharing stories, even the stories that are coming out this, um, I almost said this semester, but this season are coming out strategically. Like I've really tried to ease people into things before we get into the harder ones and then bounce back and forth. So that way there's like an overflow balance mm -hmm. where you don't get this junky high of like this addictive high of like, Oh my God, tell me more traumatic stories. Because I don't want to feed into that at all. I want it to be educational. I want it to be informative, but I also want it to honor that individual person's and not be like, okay, I'm done with this one. Give me the next one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of strategy that goes behind it. It's not just a here you go, people, type of thing, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a little bit harder than that yeah just, it is. just a smidge it is you know and and trying to make it flow and kind of go back and forth like that's a, that's a whole other process in and of it by itself i i do want to say like i feel like your bishop would call you a little bit disobedient and you would be on the on the prayer list like you know they'd be writing people to pray for you yes they definitely did when i was 16 
my bishop sat me down in one of the multiple basement meetings that we had weekly. (laughs) And he looked at me and he said, who do you think you are? (laughs) What kind of girl do you think you are that people want to talk to you? Do you think that you are that important, that you are laying yourself out there so that men are talking to you? Are you that desperate? And that has stuck with me forever. I think about that all the time. And I I think every episode, well, you know what? I am the woman that people do want to talk to. And they want to share the stories that you tried to silence every single fucking day. But I think about that. It was really traumatizing. That stays with you, being silenced for that long and being made to feel that way. Well, and you know, when you talk about the stories that are coming out today, like the stories that are coming out today, it's, it's more than just like, it's, it's like almost like there's a movement, a collective of like people raising up and kind of speaking, but then there's also these cases that keep happening. And I know we didn't talk about this, but like some of them, like, like Jessica Mast, um, Daisy in Missouri last year. And, you know, the, the, victim of Gideon Miller in, in Pennsylvania. And, you know, just looking at those and then looking at the, what's her name? Linda Stolzfus. What was the response between all of those cases versus like Linda Stolzfus and Linda Byler wrote a really good kind of like comparison to that. But it's kind of important to show that. And I think the more that we talk about these things and we kind of try to raise awareness and reach out to district attorney's offices and victim witness advocates. And and now we have resources like we have collections of people's stories that are being published and being put online that we can just send to them. Mm -hmm. Do you think that'll make a difference? Yes. Yes. Why do you think that? (laughs) You're like, come on, Jasper, give me more. Come on, tell me why. <laughs> hey, Kelsey. Speaking of people making a difference, um, a I'd like to cir- I'd like to circle back. Can you tell I've been on a lot of Zoom meetings lately? I'd like to circle back. <laughs> we go in circles now. And um, and if we have permission from Linda. I'd love at the end of this, I'll, I'll write and ask her if we have permission to copy what she said, because I don't want to read it on here without asking no. her first. But it was so powerful. And it was such a good post. I saw that. And it was just like, yes, it was very, very moving. In reference to why were there 15,000 hours spent finding Linda's body? And yet it seems like so many others are coming forward, sharing their pain, and it's dismissed. What makes death or missing a missing person more significant than somebody that is alive in front of you and has gone through extreme trauma? It's the same culture. You're dealing with the same dynamics as far as the law enforcement. What makes one person's life more valuable than another person's? And I want to make sure that people understand that I'm not saying that what has happened was not terrible with Linda. What I'm saying is what is happening with everybody is terrible. And yes, the intersection of racism and sex crimes, but that's exactly what Mary and I have been working on exposing and really talking about. So why the interest in that versus what, you know, some of these cases that can't get picked up? And I don't really have a really clear answer for that, but that was a really great question. So as far as the resources being provided and will that help? Absolutely. Because there's really nothing out there except for written by old white guys who have not been in the church or they've left the church and they're old and white and the system worked for them. Are there any resources that have been developed solely by former plain women up until now? No. So how are you going to ask people that the, the system was created for white heterosexual men to thrive. So why are we looking at them for our expertise? 
we need resources that are developed by people that have actually really gone through terrible sexual trauma and repression and learned what it is like to live in absolute fear because you were owned by somebody else, whether that's your father, whether that's your uncle, whether that's the person that you're living with because your family shipped you away because you were a female and you didn't have any say in the matter. Those are the people that need to be writing resources right now. Not old white guys. Thank you. Old white guys need to sit down, shut up, back us women, financially make it happen if you really want to make it happen and let the women talk right now. It is Thank our you. time. You're welcome. Because that has been something that has been absolutely like it, it's it's almost infuriating how many how when you go look for resources, a lot of the times you find the resources that are put out there by old white guys. And when you start talking about like, well, the Mennonite community is is working on their sexual abuse problems and all this stuff. And, and you have the Amish restoration committees and all these other committees and all of those committees, what they have in common. They're run by white men. Thank you. And if you talk to those men as somebody that is a survivor that has lived that, that knows what that's like, how do they respond? Have you ever talked to them? Me, the old white guys? Yeah. I don't talk to them. Why would I? I specifically <laughs> called the Amish Restoration Committee in Northern Ohio. I think the, the guy's name was Jake Mast. But he basically said that about 50% of the reports that they get, the women are lying about being sexually assaulted. And I'm sorry, but do you... no. Why is he on that committee? Is he really safe? Because I don't feel like he's safe. I mean, I don't, I don't feel comfortable really going into a discussion where we, we talk about one particular person. But I think that that exemplifies the problem that we're up against, where even if you leave the church and the leave the communities and you're still working towards fighting this, there's very few female-run organizations and resources that have been until the last few years, except for Hope Ann, who has been working tirelessly up in Holmes County with A Better Way mm -hmm. um, and doing a wonderful job. But other than that, you know, and I, and I think that what's being created is really wonderful. And I want to go back and say, I do, I do talk to the white guys. <laughs> I love a lot of them. And I think that I do have, and I'm very grateful for a lot of the support that I have from them, from the, from ones right. that, that, but I'm saying in particular, when we're looking at going up against who is viewed as, you know, who's writing the novels, who's viewed as the experts, who's viewed within the Anabaptist communities as people and resources that have things out um, that are published. It's typically white men that are middle-aged uh -huh. that can't, cannot understand the level of oppression that women go through. There's just no way. And it's okay to say, I don't know what you went through. Why don't you take the lead here? But because, yeah. <clears throat> because they still have not done the reprogramming around that and feeling comfortable and not trying to co-opt our ideas, not trying to come in and colonize us and to tell in and lead the way and instead just support. Because I don't think that there's been enough training and resources provided by us women to teach former plain men how to support us women as we are doing this work. And we don't need your help doing it. We need your support doing it. And truthfully, like, you're right on the whole, like, <laughs> financial support. And, and just for them to sit down and, and kind of, like, allow people who have lived that, who know what it's like to speak. That's, that's, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's okay. Like the, it is okay. This does not mean that we will, that we look down on you. We are not, there is no pedestal here. Like I told Audrey in our recording the other day, um, well, that came out last week. And I said, when we pedestal people, we can't walk each other home. But oftentimes, like it's happening where it's like we're it's going to be okay but just let us speak right now let us come forward and just support us mm -hmm. and but but that requires us women 
teaching and coming in and saying, this is how you can support me right now. This is what I need. This would be the most beneficial thing for me. Thank you. So it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Well, and if they don't know how to support, then, then we can't expect them to support either. But we also need to know how we need to be supported and be okay with saying that. That's true. Well, I don't need to be supported by inbox people inboxing me about their fulfilling their sexual fantasies. I'm just letting everybody know that. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. At least like Venmo me or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying I don't need to be supported that way. If you're going to do that, I'm going to send you a request for money and I'm going to publicize it. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I'm very grateful. I feel very well respected. I don't receive um, very many aggressive messages and I feel like I always attract the right people, but I do a lot of meditation and a lot of work around that where I just expect really good men to be in my life and really supportive of me. And then weeding out anybody that isn't there. Well, you got to kind of weed out people. And and that's another thing. It's like, I think because of like the shunning and the excommunication and the kind of being cast out, like a lot of survivors may have a lot of trouble, like being able to draw appropriate lines. Like, um, okay, I have to weed out this person because this is very unhealthy for me. I've talked to them about it and, you know, it's continued. So now it's a time where I have to decide, am I willing to be treated that way? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Nothing that feels bad is required in our lives. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing that feels bad. Oh, good. Authors. Thank you. Thank Yay. you. Yeah. Um, and and I think if, if you get a message and it doesn't feel off, then there's the answer. But we're taught that feeling bad is somehow required in order to gain holiness and to gain pleasure and to gain satisfaction. It's the cross we have to bear. And that's just not true. You utterly do not have to have that. So I could yeah. go on and on about that. But um, yeah. Well, and another thing, allow yourself to express, learn to express joy. Life is meant because, to be joyful. What? Yeah. Why would we go through what we went through and the hard work that we got just to like not feel joy? We just look. I have said this time and time again. I just want to be like some llama that was rescued from like some starvation <laughs> barn. I just want to be put out in like a little retreat area where people like come and they're like, oh my god. It's It's a llama. It's it's so fat and healthy. Wow, look how far it came. Let's feed it treats and love on it and not expect anything. I just want to be a retired llama that is loved for just existing in the world. And that's my life goal. There's a llama ranch about 40 minutes from me. You want to come visit? We can go pet the llamas. But for real, like, why would we go through this level? And and that's also, I'd like to talk about that. Like, at some point, I just want to put this out there. It is okay to stop processing trauma and to focusing on trauma and instead to start processing joy. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you shift that, and, and I, this is not diminishing. I mean, you guys should know. Jesus, like, hello. I'm not saying... You guys, you just like wake up one day and you just don't have to think about your trauma and it's all gone. But I will say this, like at some point what I see and I found in myself where it was like, I talked about it enough and it was like, okay, I'm stuck in this trauma cycle where I'm constantly trying to instruct and teach. And I think for us, when we are out there and we are trying to teach other people, it can sometimes be that we're in this trauma cycle And it's okay to step away from that and no longer be the trauma educator for a while and instead to just discover joy and to feel that because that heals so much of it. I think we, especially if we've gotten so far, we then go back and we we start teaching other people this stuff and we can get stuck and bogged down in it. Well, and the other part of that is, is once you've removed the trauma because you've healed from it and you replace it with nothing it's very apt to come back like just as bad as it was if you replace it with nothing. 
Yeah. Because it feels like an empty void in you. For sure. And so you have to find something that fulfills you outside of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that doesn't mean it doesn't go away. None of us are like going to grow out of it or heal from no. it. Um, but healing is healing is just living. It's, it's part of it. So it was really funny because I went and got my hair done, right, this week. Uh-huh. This is like hot hair, right? And... <laughs> Don't so, you think that's a little prideful, Jasper? I'm very prideful. <laughs> so it's so funny, right? Because in order to, this was like such a great analogy moment. So for the last four years I've lived here and I wouldn't let anybody touch my hair because I'm picky. And so I was instead uh, traumatizing my hair by using boxed color, which is terrible for your hair. And I know that. It's Why would you use boxed color? What's wrong with you? Because nobody... <laughs> Nobody here I'm knows sorry. how to do nobody here knows how to do red hair. So I was like, so two weeks ago I woke up one day and I was like, I need to change my hair because I just like it feels so like bleh. you know that feeling? Mm-hmm. We all feel that is bleh. and I was like, I really want to go lighter. Yeah, I'm gonna do this. And so I like literally like asked one person and she only did blonde, and I was like, I don't really want to do blonde. And then I let it go and I went out the following weekend and I just saw this this woman that was at this fashion show and I said, where did you get your hair done? That is literally the color I've been wanting my whole life. She said, oh, I do it myself. I'm a hairdresser. And I was like, holy tits. Yes. So I went in and she did my hair. But in order to get this color, which was not that much lighter than my other, we had to bleach my, my hair. And so we pulled out all of the old dark shit that was in there. And it was so funny because in the foil, there was like this much and it turned blonde. And then the tips turned blonde. But in the middle, the four years of traumatic box coloring that I did, it was hot pink. It was like, <laughs> I was like, my hair has been traumatized. <laughs> she goes, man, this is hanging in there. I said, God, it's like a tree, you know, like the four years where you go through the drought and it like the rings get really wonky. And I was like, my hair even has trauma like infused in it. So, you know, um, yes, exactly. Yes. Like, I say that a lot. I don't want to work in abuse. I think there's a lot of amazing women that are probably on this right now that do. I have to work on it. So what, what, what can I create in order to um, help people <laughs> learn how to better and more appropriately react to trauma? Because initially when the person first discloses that can make the difference in whether or not that person has complex PTSD or PTSD or none at all. Right. And I would even go a step further in saying, I don't even want to do that. I want to provide resources that are, that people can look forward to. And I think it really is that joy based living. God, I sound like a Pinterest quote, but really. You sound like a hippie. Are you hippie? (laughs) welcome welcome but i'll uh, be your sister now (laughs) we'll be hippie sisters that is the most i i cannot use that word i was in this life coaching thing for a while i went to this like big thing in san diego where it was like this this there were 300 life coaches there and it was really fun except everybody kept calling each other sister and i was like i gotta get out of here this is like they're hugging each other and calling oh sister Did did they even know each other no, but they were like bonded in the spirit of like self-empowerment. And I was like, nobody's saying fuck enough. I got to leave. Like, don't call me this. <laughs> I'll say fuck next yeah. to you. How about but, that? But I just like, that's one word that I can't use. Like, it's funny going back into trauma though. That stuff always stays with you where there's like these little pop-up things. It's like pop-up thunderstorms where you're like, oh shit, that still bothers me. But it doesn't like have to ruin the entire experience. Well, you so, want to know something funny? Um, my kids wanted a pet rat for years. And part of the uh, rats I am deathly afraid of. Now you all know my secrets. Uh, I'm deathly afraid of them because of some of the trauma. And so I've actually been able to actually touch my kid's pet rat recently. It's called exposure therapy. It's the same as me, like, holding a man's hand. We all have our rat. <laughs> Yep. 
We all have just, it. Just pet it just nicely. <laughs> just Fine. super softly. It's going to be okay. Won't bite you. Promise. Butters did not bite me. I promise. It was good. It's good. But yeah, I think that like creating things for me, working in the trauma, working on the trauma, creating resources that are outside of the realm of just the actual thing that happened to you and instead just trying to, to make things to look forward to. That's okay. been the biggest thing that's helped me. I think always, always, always just having things to look forward to. Well, having things to look forward to, but also like being able to live in the present and stay in the present versus like, you know, when you're transported, like when you were triggered, like you're immediately transported back to. So like one of the things that I do, and you're well aware of this is I sew. Okay. You want to see my apron? <laughs> Let me show you my apron. You think the bishop would approve? Wait, 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 wait. Go back to your pocket. I want to see what you put on the pocket. Oh, there's lace on there too. Oh, and <laughs> they probably not even know the the I mean it's just bigger than a quarter. So there you go. They wouldn't even know. It's really great. You should sell those. This was custom made for somebody. I love it. It's what she ordered. Good. But these things bring me great joy because it's like I can use my skill of sewing in a way that is creative. I can draw out things. I can make patterns. I can make you clothing that fits you appropriately. Yeah. Let's not even talk about it. What do you want to talk about, Jasper? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, have I don't another. want to interview you. I don't know. <laughs> I have another question for you. Okay. Like, are there things that were triggers at one point in time and later you found resolution and were able to enjoy it, enjoy again? Oh my God. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, money being one of them. That's a huge thing that is not talked about a lot, but we'll, I'll go there. Cause I love to talk about the Amish in, Oh, just <laughs> They do hemp farming? Darlene. Excuse me? Why are you telling their secret? No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. It's God's, we, it's God, the devil's lettuce. Like, it's, it's, you know. Did you listen to Austin's story that came out, if, like, that came no, out this week? No, not yet. This oh week has been crazy. It's literally, like, the best thing. And he was like, yeah, I just used to give the Star of Hope out to the guy that I was buying marijuana from because I needed to self-medicate. <laughs> it was great. It was, like, the best. I was like, this is amazing. Um, but money. So let's talk about finances whenever you leave. And this doesn't necessarily – I think a lot of women have – and, and men go around with money wounds, but that's something that was very traumatizing for me that I had to teach myself <clears throat> money empowerment, financial empowerment, and to be okay with it and the energy and frequency of money and overflow and all of these things that used to really traumatize and trigger me. Um, I mean, everything in my life at some point was like a huge, huge, huge trigger. I know Kelsey. I mean, it's never too late. You can go back. <laughs> <Yuck>. <laughs> You could go back. I'd love to see that. Just kidding. <laughs> but no. um, so I, I think, yeah, I think that everything that I have created in my life and continually expand has all been from working through and self-healing things that triggered me. Because, I mean, I was just like ever for most for the most part, I think I was like a lot of people that left. I wasn't, we all share our unique um, intersection of trauma and privilege and all of that, but I carried my fair share of issues and wounds. Yep. I never want to say because I did it, you can too, or I experienced what you experienced or anything like that, because that's just, that there's no way that I could say that, you know, and, and we've all, we get to work through our own personal things. Well, then not only that, but sometimes like people work through it in different ways as well. Like I've, I've personally been the recipient of like, well, everything's just easy for you. Um, yeah, I, for sure. I got, I got lucky because I, I had somebody who like, when you start talking about money management skills, I had somebody who kind of 
believe it or not, was an ex-Mennonite who, who had, she's, she's the one who drove me away. And so she kind of like knew inherently that these are the things that I'm lacking in. And she took me under her wing and she kind of taught me those things. And I, I can't express like my gratefulness at having had that. Right. Because, because yeah. like it's, she knew, she just knew what I needed. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge thing. I think for all of us, and that's not exclusive to playing communities. I think that's something that we all, we all, but that's something that I actively still work on. Let's, I guess that's why I brought it up first because it's like the biggest thing that I've currently been like over the last two years working on. So, so one of the things that I was also taught is that like, you should always have like enough money in your savings account to cover a couple of months in case you lose your job but the way that you would get there is by like every paycheck, you take like $20 and you put it in a savings account and you leave it there. That savings account is not to be used. It's there for your emergency stash. But here's the thing. It's like, here's my question. It's like, there are people that live paycheck to paycheck and they don't have that. Like I live that way. Yeah, I, did I didn't, I, I couldn't do that. No. The, like that twenty dollars is uh, like that's your five boxes of ramen, like five cases exactly. Of ramen. <laughs> and you gotta eat ramen. You gotta eat, dude. I ate so much fucking ramen when I like in the middle of starting this damn podcast because I was like I was determined to make what I'm doing now successful, and it came with great sacrifice. Sorry, our sound quality sucked for two years. I was couch surfing because I couldn't afford to live in a house, and it was like. Do I, you know, but I just, I kept moving forward. So yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to do what you can do, but the, the, the most free thing that you could ever possibly do is work on that shit instead of like, instead of saving, how can I expand? How can I market myself? What can I do in order to, what resources can I provide? What do I have within me? Because we all have such great skill set within us, but we are, we're, we've been taught by this old system, once again, designed by white men, um, on the, well, we have to, we restrict in order to expand. And it's, no, you expand in order to expand because what you are, you attract. So if you're restricting, you're still, teaching that lack and that scarcity. So and that fear of that lack, our that fear scarcity. of money or that like, Oh my God, I can't let it go. But it's all circulating. You've got to circulate money every time you spend it. I'm just circulating it. It'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. And it always does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. But trigger wise. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the things that, and they still come up whenever I'm introduced into a new situation. I talked about this the other night where I said, you know, I'd never lived in town and I never realized that it was worldly to live in town. And that was still within me until I <laughs> moved into town. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, so have you I, ever I, lived I, in another country? No, but I've self, I like a solo traveled so much that I, okay. I would, but I, I mean, I've lived on the road. I mean, I like, I am a worldly woman y'all. And <laughs> I was I was cool before I started doing my own stuff. Like I was, you know, traveled the world a lot and, um, have been like on, on my own dime. Thank you very much. And I've also been treated and flown all over the world by men. And, um, so anyway, but I, what was I saying? Oh, move, I've never lived in town. I've always lived in the country. I like my privacy. So I moved into this house last February and it was like, I didn't intend to do it. It was like a, a forced type of thing where I needed to find a place. Found this place. I love it. But I was so traumatized for like solid six months. I wouldn't go out and like in my yard and like move things. And I would wait until it was like dark out. And then I would go out and weed and all this weird <laughs> shit. But I was like, well, I don't want people to see me. Or like if the neighbors would say hi, I'm like, what do you want? Like they want my, they want to know my, what I'm doing. Like and Meredith, they want your life story, Jasper. Yeah. They want and your whole life story, your firstborn, your parents, everybody. So when I when I first moved here, I moved for a relationship, and and he was so funny because I moved in with him, which that was a first experience, and that was like that's a whole nother conversation. But he was like so off put that I wouldn't make friends with his neighbors. 
And I was like, no. He was like, who are you? And I was like, they don't need to know my business. They don't need to know anything. <laughs> so weird. Now I'm like obviously gotten through that, but it took a long time to not be traumatized when somebody would come by the but I've like literally convinced myself that the government was driving by when it was like the water meter dude. But I was like, why is the water meter dude here? Is he here to take my child? Like, what is, is he checking in on the welfare of merit? Like all this like weird ass shit that just still comes up. Well, see, and the fear of like the government taking your children, that's literally like bred into you almost. It's like uh, you're, you're taught that from the time you're a child. Yeah. So my child got suspended uh, yesterday and I walked in the, the, I was so mad. I was like, you know, I'm just over the public school system so much. I was like, I kind of understand why my family joined a cult. And so I was like on my way driving and I was like, you know what? You don't need a high school education. You don't need any of that to survive. And so I'm like driving in there and I like whip in and I walk in and I was like, are you ready? And she was like, uh-huh. And the, the, the principal looked at me and she goes, she can't come back till Monday. I was like, okay, bye. Because I realized you can't take my child. You can't. I can take her. But you can't. But you can't. So that's right. Anyway. Good for you. But no, yeah, um, that is, that is within ingrained within us. So I actually feel like super, super, super duper lucky because my kid goes to a private school. Oh, and oh. Must be nice. No, I'm teasing. Well, I'm, teasing. They- I'm so teasing you. Because that comes with its own headache. Of when it's like a smaller, then it's a smaller school where people know your business and it's it's just a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying but- to get her to homeschool so I could just travel the world and then COVID happened. And- yeah. But I will tell you, my kid went to public school. My kids went to Dodd schools too. And the public school, I do not recommend. Oh, it's... It's... My kid was suspended so many times. I can tell you all kinds of stories. And I know that, like, sometimes... Yeah, I feel you when you walk in there and you're like, Oh, they can't take my kid. I feel you. I mean, I was not invited back to 10th grade in Mennonite school. So we are... The apple does not fall (laughs) that far from the tree. (laughs) You know, when I was in, like, 7th or 8th grade, there was this little Amish boy. I still remember his name, exactly what he looked like. He made me so mad, Jasper. (laughs) He would follow me around at school. And then he's like, I like you. And I'm like, I don't like you. (laughs) He went home and cried to his mom, and I got a spanking for it with the freaking belt. Excuse me. I made a boy cry because I didn't like him. I've made a few cry myself. (laughs) I could make a few more cry if they wanted to. Totally. Yeah. But no, it's just no. Mm -mm. That doesn't fall far from the tree. It doesn't. But that's on trauma. You ever have the moments where you're just like, I didn't invite myself in here to argue with myself? No. No? I don't. No, I don't have that. Thankfully. It's more like my kid likes to have logic and facts and data. And that's kind of me. And so they they do that. And it's like, well, you know, where does that make sense? And they're like, oh, because here's this and this and this and this and this and this. And then you just invited everything into the world. Anyways, uh, I did have one more question. And that was, you talked about your charity that you had started. Do you feel comfortable talking about that a little bit? Are you referencing my scholarship program? Yes. Yeah, we can talk about it. Because we're talking about school. This is the very, yeah, that's really true. That was, this is a really good interview process of segueing into something. I like that. I see that. Um, Yeah, so we can talk about it. I haven't talked about it anywhere else, but I have assembled a board and we are 
in the middle of waiting to get getting approved for um you know those little women just have Gloria <laughs> sorry yes <laughs> sorry we're like I hate like I feel like one of those people that everybody makes fun of when they're like oh my god yes Susie hi um and nobody else knows what they're saying but yeah, so we are waiting to receive back our approval, but I have founded a the not the um, Plain People Scholarship Foundation. I have a board full of wonderful women that are all from my past, which hysterically I've been able to somehow I wanted to somehow like bring my worlds together. And so everybody that's on my board are very strong female. Um, role models within the equine community. So for those of you that don't know, I worked in the horse industry up until moving to North Carolina four years ago. So I've traveled the whole world meeting really, really just wonderful women. And so I have assembled them and we are working on creating not only scholarship opportunities for college, uh, but for former plain people, but also GED training, GED test prep, filling in the gaps of depending on which type of church you came from and your educational background, filling in those backgrounds, getting ready for ACT prep, having those costs um, covered, as well as having tutors to help you in the science and math and um, all the things that we missed out on, depending on which church that you came from and being able to really fill in those holes. So I'm very excited. This is something that I wanted to do since I was 18 and it has all come to fruition and it's moving forward. So I'm really proud of it. It's probably like the most thing, like I'm, I'm very proud of the podcast, but I really, really am proud of this. This is something that I know will last way longer once I die. <laughs> and so it's leaving you, something that's impactful. Did you know that, um, that, that almost sounds like one of the programs like for disadvantaged youth. Yes. It was, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's and, essentially what it is, is it's disadvantaged young men and women. And also I don't want the emphasis or the, the feeling that you cannot apply for something like this. If, if you don't want to go to a four-year school and maybe you want to go to a trade school or something like that. Like, I don't want somebody to feel discriminated and it's not, it's just really working towards any sort of educational disadvantage there is. You know, I had a tutor to be able to get my high school diploma. Yeah. I, and uh, you, yeah, just, I, I, I just, oh my God, like, you know how big this will be for so many people? Yes, I do. Um, and, and I, I do because it was one of those ideas that I've like carried around and I like, trust me, would love, to, I would love nothing more than just to be lying on the beach drinking margaritas and not doing this. Like I am not the savior complex here. But I know that it needs to be done, and this is what I am here to do. And so I'm very, very excited to be able to, to be doing it, as well as bringing along a team of really wonderful, wonderful, caring women that are very invested in it and really excited to see it grow. And are also very well educated on top of that. So that really helps. Thank you. Because there's a lot of people who really, who really could, could, you know, like people our age that have, they left when they were younger, like back then, we didn't have a lot of programs like that. And we specifically didn't have any, like I literally joined the military so I wouldn't have to go to a Mennonite college. Yes. So many, because I was offered a scholarship to a Mennonite college. Yeah. So no. the, the thing is, is that the reason that I've created this, this does not mean that you need an education in order to get a job by any means. And I am a prime example of the fact that while I was fortunate enough to know that I always wanted to go into equine science, I graduated with an equine science deg degree. Um, I knew it, it's so much more than education because what it really is, is a way of learning how to socially blend in and mesh in this world that we are unfamiliar with. It is a lifestyle type of training, which is why it's going to be so much more than just a scholarship opportunity. I, I have plans to have 
people come in and really help with learning how to read social signs and how to merge in into social skills so that way you don't lose your jobs. Because I got fired from a lot of jobs because I did not know how to socially blend in. I didn't know how to email people back properly. I didn't know how to come across like in a more corporate way. I still don't. That's why I have Chris Ann, who is my assistant, <laughs> who emails people these really nice. I'm like, wow, you wrote that. Like, <laughs> good for you. And I'm always I mean. like, you know, but, but when it comes down to like, we, we send each other a lot of emails back and forth and it's like, okay, well, you know, how, how can I say this so that I don't sound like a bitch? Because I have such a way of, of talking that's very pinpointed, like, boom, boom, boom. Why are you talking about me? Yeah. So, but that being said, like I, I excelled so much in my life and so much of a privilege is because I learned social skills from my family. And I recognize that a lot of us that grew up within the churches, didn't. They didn't have that privilege. They didn't have the privilege of having family that was educated. And, and this is not a condescending way. It's me recognizing that the reason that I have advanced is, is oftentimes because of those things and those connections that I had. And so I understand so much that, that that's, if I can sit here, I don't ever want somebody to be like, well, Jasper did it. So can I No. You probably may not be able to because you're not understanding. I came from like so much privilege here. So, and I still had to work through really hardship. So what I'm really trying to do is, is understand the gamut and the, the, the lack. And so what I've done is really we're building out a committee to really help individuals. And it's, I think it's going to be just a beautiful thing. But a lot of it also is that this is a resource that will help women feel really, really empowered around themselves after being told that they were stupid, after being kept in the dark, after thinking that they needed a man and they needed a relationship in order to survive. And I think we've all been there. When you get out, you need somebody in order to survive. But what can happen is, is that we get attached to the wrong people because we were raised in really abusive relationships. And so we are, we latch on to somebody in our desperation and then you're stuck because you don't have a GED. You can't get hired. All you're doing is cleaning houses. All you want to do is be a nurse. All you want to do is take care of people. So you're babysitting, cleaning houses and baking and sewing. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you what, unless you have business management skills and unless you have some way of understanding how to manage your money and that confidence and putting yourself out there, you're not going to be able to survive on your own financially. Like it, it's just like you deserve that. Like we deserve to thrive. And so I'm putting in and implementing these ways so that women and men, but especially women because they've had their money taken away from them and all this, they can thrive and they can thrive on their own. And you can find that empowerment and then you can make a decision based out of um, being proactive instead of reactive. Not so. only proactive, but also make decisions that are in the best interest of yourself without feeling guilty about that. Right. So, and those things yeah. like are slow learned, like you're not going to like learn yeah. that the first year you're out. And this is not exclusive to people that have recently just been left. I mean, we have a lot of people that you go through that healing process and then you're like, you know what? I want to go back to school. I want to be self, like, I, I want to be self-empowered. I think I want to work as a social worker. I think I want to work as a nurse or I want to work in the culinary, like you, who na you name it, right? It doesn't have to mm -hmm. stick. I see a lot of women that leave and they want to do these caretaking positions still and be a nurse. And that's because that's how we were raised. And I'd like to give the opportunity for them to see outside of that. Hey, maybe you can be an engineer. Why Maybe can't you, you can be design? something else. So, yeah. So facts. Like, I just want everybody to know that I was the first person in my family to get a high school diploma. I was the first person in my family to get an associate's degree. Um, my associate's degree is in medical billing and coding. I'm also not only am I a certified coder, I'm also a certified medical auditor. And I achieved that because I had the support um to learn all of these skills through a program very similar to what Jasper's describing, but not specifically for ex-plain people. 
Right. It just no. happened that the county that I lived in when I left, like they had a program that they made some kind of like a exception to the rule because I was 19 and they, they provided me all of these resources. Like I did practice job interviews. They yeah. helped me learn how to search for jobs. They helped me yes. learn like just all these things. Well, and my really big hope, and uh, it was very strategic asking the women that are on my board, because I know that they all have really wonderful connections that can help where it's, it's internships, it's knowing people that know people. And those are how I've always excelled is that I am social Velcro. I attach people onto me when I go out because I'm magnetic and I've made connections because I felt comfortable. And then that person happens to just know somebody and then I land into that position. But I'm doing this so that way when it comes to needing an internship, you can come to our committee and you can say, hey, I'm really looking and interested in this field. Do you know of anybody? Um, because we've always, I'm a big, I got a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I don't want, while it is about education, it's very much about self-empowerment and realizing that you can do the thing that you really wanted to do and you dreamed of when you left the, like before you left the church. Cause I think we all had a dream of being somebody and yep. then, um, and that fueled us. So I'd like to at least try and fulfill that as much as possible. So I'm really excited. Yeah. That's just incredibly amazing. I can't wait to see how this turns out. It'll Do you have any other final thoughts for our listeners and viewers? I'm like, no. <laughs> no? Bye. I need more wine. Um, no, it was really fun. <laughs>